Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. All right, uh, boy, we got stuff to talk about this week, huh? <laughs> I mean, you can already see the runtime, so I can't. I'm recording this, but uh, you'll you'll know we got stuff to talk about. We have last night's card, UFC and ESPN Plus 88 to review. Some pretty interesting stuff there. We've got a big preview, UFC 294, and wow, does that card look different than it did last week. Uh, I'll talk about the changes and whatnot when we get to the card proper, but yeah, that's going to take some time. There was a um, couple of alleged boxing matches that took up a lot of oxygen uh, in the you know promotional space last weekend. I will talk briefly about, let's face it, Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis took up most, again, that was what most people were interested in. I'll be talking a little about that and um, Tommy Fury uh, getting the world's most boring win. Not that, look, man, he deserved that win. Commentary for that show sucked. We'll wait for then. Then uh, another big piece of news from the last week. <laughs> um, the UFC will be parting ways with USADA uh, effective January 1st, 2024. So, yeah, there's that to talk about. So, we're you know how long this takes. I don't. I'm sitting here talking extemporaneously, more or less. But we got stuff, man. We got a lot of stuff to get through, and I hope you will have the patience and time to go to, uh, you know, sit here and enjoy the dulcet tones of my voice as we go through it. All right. Um, so if you could please like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice, that is always deeply appreciated. If you've done any and all of that, um, sharing. Tell people on your social media platform of choice that you like us. Uh, that you know, Or tell someone that you actually know. If you, I shouldn't say actually know. Like if you know someone in person, point them in my direction. Uh, let's see if you know they'll enjoy the show or not. Um, and we got the bigger, we've been in a bit of a lull recently, you know, week, yeah, there was a week off, then we, they've just been kind of, you know, pedestrian cards, not, nothing with a lot of buzz to it, I, look, I can usually find something, uh, on each card, and I found a few on this one on paper, and you know, for a run-of-the-mill fight night, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but we finally got a big event coming up, so if you... If you only tune in for the bigger, for my, my, my talking about, you know, bigger events, I understand. You have limited time, limited bandwidth. You probably don't care about you about another Apex fight night, and again, I understand. I'm grateful that you show up and listen whenever you do, so thank you very much. Okay, I think that's everything there, so let's get into it, shall we? UFC on ESPN Plus 88. In the main event, main event was your fight of the night. Been a while since that's happened, right? It's been a bit. But in your main event, Edson Barboza defeats Sadiq Yusuf, a unanimous decision, 149-46. Terrible. I shouldn't say terrible. That was, um, it was, that wasn't my, was that Mike Bell? Is that Chris Lee? Chris Lee. Fairly positive. Um... Not give. Let me just say this straight up before I get into the specifics. Not giving Sadiq Yusuf a 10-8 in the first round. Terrible judgment call. Terrible. Other two judges, 48-46, all for Barboza. I was 48-46 Barboza. Um, 
this fight, this was your fight of the night. This deserved to be fight of the night. Um, what would the what would the other one have been if it wasn't this one? Maybe Christian Rodriguez and Cameron Simon. That was kind of fun. That would probably be my choice, personally. Um. Oh, just remember, I'll fix that later. Uh, anyway. This didn't, this wasn't, um, you know, complete chaos from start to finish, but the narrative of this fight was so good. So Yusuf, both guys come out and they trade, they, they both get after it early. There's some leg kicks going back and forth. There's some punches. Edson Barboza's digging the body because he's one of the few body punchers in the sport. And Yusuf eventually cracks Barboza with a right hand, hurts him, chases him along the fence, hurts him again. Um, there was a point or two when, if the referee had stopped this fight, I don't, I think it would have been justified. Um, he batters Barboza around, but Barboza always manages to do just enough to convince the referee not to step in. And sees out the round, his face is kind of banged up, again, 10-8, pretty clearly, if you're not, you know, is that Chris Leo Cleary? Hang on, I gotta look this up now, because I... There's so many judges that are just a little bit weird. Um, yeah, it was Lee. Yeah, Chris Lee. Weird call. But Barboza survives. Yusuf, I don't know. I don't think he punches himself out in the first round. His cardio fades a bit down the stretch. But I'm not going to claim that I, he punched himself out here. He thought he might have. There might have been ways to be more deliberate about it and get the finish. But it didn't look to me like he just gave everything in the first round and then spent the next four, you know, completely out of the fight. That That's not true. Second round was actually, again, fairly competitive. I gave it to Bar Commentary kind of thought that... Um, Yusuf had it. Second round. Don't. Nobody else that I saw agreed with that. Barboza had kind of the most effective stuff in the second, landed a lot of body work that seemed to bother Yusuf at a couple of points. Third round, Barboza's jab starts working. Third round, sorry, the third round is home to the crazy moment of the fight. Yusuf seems to be kind of recovering a little bit. You know. Went out real hard in the first. Was competitive in the second, but maybe, you know, you need a lower output round to recharge for the third. He's not, again, he's not crazy in the third. But I actually think he's, you know, he's not winning the round before the end of it, but you could argue, he, it was close enough that you could argue he was. Then, Barboza wheel kicks him. Badly, badly hurts him. Um, lands some punches, gets a front headlock, thinks about a Darsh, thinks about, you know, a couple of things, but can't quite find it. Uh, I think he winds up on the back at one point in that round. Um, but clearly wins that round. You might be able to argue, I don't agree with this, but there actually might be a 10-8 argument for Barboza in that round, given just kind of how close that was on occasion. Um... But Barboza wins that. For me, I thought the fourth round was probably 
the one that I thought maybe you could have given to Yusuf outside of the uh, the first, because I didn't agree with the second. Round four, and again, I still went with Barboza. I'd have to rewatch it to decide if I really agreed with my live assessment. More jabs from kind of go back and forth. Yusuf, the whole fight, had this really interesting kick he was throwing. Um, so they're both orthodox. He's throwing a right front kick to the inside of Barboza's right thigh. And it was a really interesting technique to key into. It took away a good chunk of bar. Uh, it sh I shouldn't say took away. It didn't completely remove it. It hampered a lot of Barboza's traditional offense. That kick coming up like that messes with the leg kick. It messes with the switch kick. And it's pretty good about distance management. The problem is, like, it's good about distance management, but your target is far enough back that you're still kind of you're in range for certain attacks, usually um, usually body shots. But if you've never if you've never had a pretty good, I've been kicked to the inside leg with you know roundhouse kicks. If you've never taken a front kick with like just the ball of the foot, kind of getting into that, that sucks. Um, it, and it seemed to again, I don't think it was enough to really like hobble Barboza, but it did make him adjust some of the weapons he was using at different times. The problem that Yusuf ran into is he had a tool to dis to kind of diffuse some of Barboza's offense, not enough to diffuse all of it. And then again, his output kind of waned down the stretch, but the fourth round fa was fairly competitive. I still thought Barboza took it. He's still working the body. His jab's more effective. In uh, the fifth round, kind of more of the same. So ultimately, Barboza takes home the decision. Um, again, there is good action in this fight. I don't mean to say that there isn't. If you're looking for just a straight, like, crazy fight start to finish, high pace, high action, I'd actually more point you to Christian Rodriguez and Cameron Simon, personally. Um, that fight, non-stop. Uh, pretty nuts. Uh, there's so much grappling in that. Um, a lot of, uh, that's just a good fight. But, if you want, like, kind of the emotional ebbs and flows, something dramatic, yeah, main event. I don't object to this getting fight of the night one bit. I'd mentioned a little bit about this last week, like, Edson Barboza has been in the trenches in the UFC for almost 13 years. He took an absolute mauling in this first round. Not the worst first round mauling he's ever taken, which is kind of crazy when you look at this round, like, oh no, that was 10-8. Yeah. That dude has been on the wrong end of some violent first rounds. Watch his fight with Khabib, watch his fight with Kevin Lee. The supreme irony is this is actually territory. I mean, irony is not the right word. Most fighters have never been in the kind of position that uh, Barboza was in getting off the stool for the second round of this fight. I'm not saying Barboza's in that position every fight, but he's been down this road before. And with some 
genuine monsters. Like, Kevin Lee's kind of a monster. Khabib, monster. He was able... There's a lot to be said. Michael Bisbing said in his... Um, he interviewed both guys after the fight. He talked with Yusuf, and he, he, he spouted, again, kind of a truism. That's um, experience can't be bought, only earned. And Barboza had it in this kind of fight. Yusuf didn't. And that played out a little bit. Uh, that matters. Uh, yeah, Barboza, he's one of those guys who been around forever, been in some great fights, given us some high-quality violence. Um, I'd seen other people floating the word legend around with him before. I hadn't been on that boat. This fight puts me on... I am on that train, man. Edson Barboza, never a champion. I think he only had the one interim title fight. That was with Kevin Lee. Never was able to climb all the way to the mountaintop, but across two weight classes in 13 years, he's fought. He's fought pretty much every level. He's when he was the newcomer, he fought some of the entry-level guys. He fought the mid guys. He's fought some of the best. I'm okay saying at this point that dude's a legend. There's kind of tiers within legend, legendary status. Like, there's some that are just, like, super, you know, the guys you get, like, super uh, almost emotionally attached to. They're just, you know, big-time legends. I don't think Barboza's quite, like, upper-tier legend, but my personal rankings on this, like, he, this fight crossed him into legend status for me. Uh, tough loss for Yusuf. And he said after the fact, you know, that it hurts. I'm sure it does. He was ending a pretty decent layoff. And showed that he had the... There were ways he could have won this fight. Like, even after the first round. like He was still in the other rounds as kind of a general rule. Just... I don't know if he overpunched himself in that first round. He seems to think that was part of it. I'm sure that didn't help. Um... But there's things he can take from this. This was his first five-round fight, and he went all five. And I've said this before. Sometimes that's a that's a bridge you can only cross in the cage. You can do all the cardio and all the proper conditioning for a five-round fight, but it's just different when it's live. I mean... Professional fighters have talked about this at times. Even guys who do a lot of hard sparring in preparation for, you know, their first real fight. Even if you do a lot of hard sparring, which I don't personally recommend a lot of it, the real thing is different even from hard sparring. First time you really go into those rounds when it's live, when it's for real, it's just... You can only experience it. You can do every You do everything you can to narrow the gap between your preparation and reality, but there, that gap does remain. Guys who even are conditioned properly for five rounds, the first time, they they don't mind talking about it on occasion. Like, yeah, I was ready, I could go, I was prepared for it. It's still different than what you do in the gym. It just is. 
still think Yusuf has a relatively bright future. The layoff recently kind of hurt. I'd like to see him stay a bit more active, but he's got a, he's still got potential. There's just refinements that still need to take place. Barbo he took a step up here to Barboza. And turns out right now, not quite at that level. Close, very close, but not quite ready to get over that particular hump. I wouldn't want to be the next guy to fight Sadiq Yusuf. Just put it like that. The next guy is probably going to have his hands full. Um, good win for Barboza. Did he call anyone out? He might have been asked about it, and they usually do, but I don't know that it's... Usually does not mean always. Check. Um... No, I don't. I don't think it was really a thing. I don't think he did any calling out. Um, I mean, dude, he went to the hospital after this. His face was all busted up. So let him recover, but quality win for Barboza. So my hats off to him. Uh, good stuff there. And you're in fight of the night. No complaints from me on that one. Uh, Co-main event, Viviani Araujo defeats Jennifer Maia of the unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. Uh, not a lot here. Both came out like, oh, yeah, we're going to box a little bit, then clinch and takedown and a lot of groundwork, and it was mostly about who's on top. Oh, last thing about um, Barboza and Yusuf, technically. Neither guy very good off the back foot became very clear, so whoever was moving forward was generally the one having success. After the first round, Barboza just did a lot more moving forward, and that's not why he won in the sense that, oh, he was moving forward, that means he won. Moving forward was kind of a precondition for success um, about this one, rather than the like, rather than the cause of in, a, in, a, and an, in an end unto itself kind of way. It was the condition under which everything else about their games would open up. Um, so, Arujo and Maya is mostly who was on top in the grappling. Uh, I don't have a whole lot here. This wasn't a terribly compelling fight. Much, much needed win for Arujo. Been on a bit of a skid. Uh, she needed the win pretty, pretty badly. Um, I was really looking forward to the next fight. It delivered... Maybe not exactly the way I expected it to, but it definitely delivered. Bantamweight Jonathan Martinez defeats Adrian Yanez via leg kicks. 226 of the second. Um, I think I picked Martinez here. Uh, this was a tough stylist. This turned out to be a much tougher stylistic matchup that, for Yanez than I necessarily thought it would be on paper. So... Yanez is a very good offensive boxer uh, for MMA. He has some, he still has some defensive issues, mostly head position related, but you can still work on those. That that takes time to really get going. But he struggled here with the range more than anything else. Jonathan Martinez, I. Trying to remember who this was true of. Um, I I want to say this was true of Martinez, but this might have been an anecdote about somebody else that I'm misapplying. So if I am, I apologize. 
But I want to say Martinez is one of those guys who, when like when you asked the pad holders, whether that was Mark Montoya or one of the other coaches, because he, tra- he trains at a Factory X. Factory X? Pretty sure. It's Mark Montoya's team. I know that. I need to confirm this, because otherwise it's... Bother me just a little bit. Uh, yeah, he is Factory X. Um, so whether he's the one holding the pads or whatnot, but I want to say Martinez is one of those guys who, like, when you at, when asked, like, who's the hardest kicker you've ever held pads for, Martinez might have been the name that came up. It's either that or that. Was that actually about? Was that I might that might have been a Javier Mendez story about Gabriel Benitez? Now that I think about it, I forget. Um, forgive me again. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong about the anecdote, but Jonathan Martinez kicks like a farm animal. He stopped people with leg kicks, but he stopped Cub Swanson with leg kicks. You know how hard that is to do to Cub Swanson? He did it. He's had other, his kicking is a big part of his offensive tool set. And he, dude, he kicks like a guy at least two weight classes heavier. He just has so much power in those kicks. Um, you give that guy time and space. You've got it. That is a weapon of his. You have to take away as fast as possible. Because if you don't, he will just chop you down. What he did to Yanez here, he start. He didn't throw it right away, did he? Actually, that might have been one of the first things he actually connected with, but. It wasn't the only weapon he threw. You, know, you got to disguise that with your movement, other offensive weapons. But in the first round, he started. Yanez started struggling, limping at different times. The timing and like Martinez will throw that kick like when you're coming in. You come in, kick. You start. You set to throw. He jabs, rolls, and he throws that kick. Just brutal, over and over and over again. Um, Yanez had degrees of success anytime he could get close his hand speed and again kind of general boxing started to show up but his movement got hampered by those kicks early enough that Martinez's circling and kind of general ring position was never able to really be corralled and controlled uh, and when they got close Martinez you know, hands up defensively sound throw back enough to kind of let him know you're there but did not want to be there, and dude, there aren't too many people who want to be in boxing range with Yanez. That's a bad place to be. Uh, second round, more of the same, just those killer kicks. He gets him against the fence and just unloads. The one that finally does it, I don't have, there's not been confirmation of this, uh, as far as I know. He throws it. Yanez tries to get his leg out of the way, and the kick goes through. It winds up catching his ankle, and kind of. Uh, and Yanez afterwards like drops, holding his knee. Here's my. Again, no confirmation. My speculation. That leg was toast. What got him out of there ultimately might not have been what is, well, like, the normal kind of soft tissue damage that leg kicks cause. 
And I don't say that dismissively. Like, that stuff sucks. But given the way he kicked, where he caught him on the ankle and kind of the angle at which... Because, you know, you lift the leg up and you try to hinge... You a little bit try to hinge the knee. It caught the ankle and it sort of pushed the leg, not just out, not like open, like opening up the hips, but he was low enough on the leg to kind of lever that outwards and back. There might be some kind of knee joint damage here. Um, because that's not a direction you really want to get. The, the knee joint, again, it's not meant to move that way. It's meant to be a hinge joint. It goes up and down. And even then, only to a certain point, one direction. You put too much lateral force on it, something in there might tear. And given the angle and whatnot, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if there's something in there. I don't necessarily mean ACL. But you can do some damage to the meniscus. or you know, There's a lot of things in there that can be uh, really unhappy when you start moving... The lower end of that, if you think of the leg as a lever, you move the lower end of that in a direction that that joint is not meant to go, and you kick it, you bring as much force to bear as Martinez does on his kicks. Something in there might have given. Don't know. It's a personal hunch, but wouldn't surprise me. Um, really exceptional stuff out of Martinez here. I. Got to give him all the credit in the world. This was a tough second fight for Yanez. Going from fighting Rob Font in your big step up, losing, getting stopped in that fight, to then fighting Martinez. That's a rough two. That's a rough two fight stretch for anybody. Okay, for what it's worth, my personal, uh, my theory there. I double checked um, uh, Yanez's Twitter. It says he needs an MRI to see if his MCL tore. Um, so, there's a, I'm not just, I wasn't just whistling Dixie when I was talking about that. Uh, hope it's not serious. Again, I, I like Yanez, um, a lot, but his defense needs to, needs a little bit of work. And hopefully a slight, I don't mean he should be fighting newbies, but a slight decrease in the level of competition is not unwarranted off the back of these two losses. I fully expect him to be back stronger when it's when he does return. But a small step down in competition is not the worst thing in the world. He doesn't need to be fighting four of these like really top-tier guys on the back of this, so... As for Martinez, he said he wanted someone top 10, top 5. I This was what? Six in a row for him? Yeah, and against an escalating level of opposition. Man, his only losses in the UFC. Lost his debut. He was just... He's not very old. He's only 29. So his UFC debut would have been in... It was 2018. So he's only 24... Very much like under the bright lights first time kind of moment. Wins a couple, loses a tough split decision to Andre Ewell. Wins a couple. Some pretty good wins there, actually. Frankie Sainz and Thomas Almeida. Is doing really good against Davey Grant before he kind of gets into a firefight with him in the pocket and Grant catches him. Hadn't lost since. 
six in a row. Zviadlov, his rebound from that, the guy I don't think we've seen back in the UFC yet. Again, Zviad, Lajishvili, he's Georgian, country Georgian, not state Georgia. Alejandro Perez, Vince Morales, Cub Swanson, Said Nurmagomedov, and now Adrian Yanez. Dude is... He's good. He's very good. Um, yeah, somebody top 10 at a bare minimum. Check the rankings real fast. Now, these haven't been updated. He came into this fight 13th. Uh, who do we got in the top 10 at the moment? Going down from the top, so we have obviously Sean O'Malley as champion. Aljamain Sterling, Marab Dwalishwili, Cejudo, Sandhagen. Rumor has it, uh, didn't they say Cejudo had a fight? I forget who he was supposed to fight. But I think rumor had it he'd signed something. Sandhagen, Jan. Jan's out injured. Um, he was supposed to fight Song Yadong. Uh, I think he's Song Yudong. Might have been Song Kanan. I think Kanan's way class up. Uh, on the upcoming China card, he had to pull. He suffered some kind of injury, so Yan, he's out. Vera, uh, the aforementioned Song, Rob Font, Dominic Cruz, and Pedro Munoz. Dude, Martinez and Munoz. That might be the fight to make. You got Umar at 11. Uh, he had that shoulder injury, though. I don't need to see those two fight right now. That'll build. Let it build. They're both on the ascendancy, and I tend to think both of them will go pretty far. So, you, dude, Munoz or Font. Song wouldn't be the craziest thing. But, one like, one of those guys. Um, one of those guys. Like, anyone in that range kind of makes sense. I'm not too interested in seeing him fight Cruz. I don't know why Cruz... Uh, I, my respect for Dominic Cruz's career is fairly well known at this point. I don't know that I want to watch him in Mar- I don't... a little unclear to me that his ranking at number 9 is the most accurate. Might be wrong. Might be wrong. Just kind of my off-the-cuff... He's still a... I still think he's a top-level bantamweight. I don't know that... They won't put him lower because Munoz is 10, and he t- he beat Munoz, so they won't do that. Which, eh, I don't know. I, I don't agree with how some of the rankings seem to be put together, but that's a whole other can of worms. We're going to leave that one aside. Somebody in that range, though, for Martinez next is what I would what I think is called for. Six in a row at bantamweight's hard. Six in a row, getting constantly going up the uh, up the food chain, real hard. And he's doing it pretty ably. You know, I've watched this guy in his entire career over the last five years. He was very much early on again, kind of deer in the headlights. One of his earlier um, interviews, like post-fight win. Just during the headlights, could barely string together a full sense. I don't know if he has some kind of social anxiety as a general rule or what. Uh, look, not everyone does great on the mic. I'm not knocking the guy for it. It's just an observation. He's not. He's still not a great promo guy, but he was much more uh, composed and articulate he, over these last few fights. He's been. Yeah, he's not big talker, not big soundbite guy, but 
seems to have found his kind of composure with the mic in his face and the camera rolling. And that can be a hard thing to do. I, it can be a very hard thing to do. So give him a step up. Million percent deserved. Hope Yanez hasn't suffered too bad an injury. Um, and I fully, again, get, get right. Work on some of your technique. Take a step down and, competition you you had a really good rise hit your current ceiling take a few steps back rebuild no shame in that don't get mired down there but take a slot take a small step down in again in opposition for at least your next fight i don't need a full-blown tune-up but take a fight to get right don't jump back in there against a top-end guy and wind up on a three-fight losing streak Having taken some pretty serious damage in those three fights, that that might ruin you. But that's not just Yanez. That's like general advice to fighters. That can be a rough stretch. Like, there's nothing wrong with managing your career in that respect. Don't just be a yes man for the UFC. It's okay to manage your career a touch. But since most managers are just yes men for the UFC who act as brokers to throw people at the promotion on short notice, well, you know. The state of MMA management being what it is. All right, moving on. Michelle, Pe- Michelle Pereira. He stops Andre Petrosky 106 of the first with punches. I knew Pereira was a big welterweight. My man is... He was bigger than Petrosky, and Petrosky is not a small middleweight. Like he's not Petrosky's not the tallest, but he is... He's a he, he's got a big frame like he's thick, right? very well muscled. Pereira bigger, longer reach. Um, moved around well. Petrovsky's striking is still very much a work in progress. He got caught with a punch, dropped. Pereira never gave him a shot to recover. After the fight, Pereira, you know, I feel great at this weight class. This is my new home. You know what? Dude, the jump between welterweight and middleweight is big. That's 15 pounds, 170 to 185. That's a very big leap. There's a lot of guys who would be... There's a lot of guys who would kill for 165. Like 150, so that's 150, the difference between 155 and 170. There's a pretty good chunk that wish that was 175 instead of 170. Um, partially because they can't get to 170, but they're on the small end of 185, and that again, that's just a pretty big jump. Pereira going up 15 pounds, being the bigger guy, and looking like a behemoth. I mean, again, not the. I don't just mean that in like his physical looming stature, but. Dude looked good, moved well, crushed Petrosky. Uh, if he really can maintain this form at middleweight, yeah, man, this this is much. This seems a much more ideal weight class for him than 170. Uh, watching him in this fight was the first time I went. How did you make 170? Because, again, bigger 170 guy. Missed weight a couple of times. That's kind of what led to this. 
But looking at him in the ring with other welterweights, or in the cage, rather, I'd always kind of thought, okay, I can see how you get here. It's not easy, but I can see how you do it. Seeing him more filled out in his frame, suddenly you're like, how? Similar thing with, you guys may not remember this, Anthony Johnson, uh, who has passed away um, in the last few, I forget how long ago that was, but Anthony Rumble Johnson, his early UFC fights were all at welterweight, and if you saw him fight at heavyweight, you just went, how? Well, if you watched him fight at welterweight, you went, boy, you are just, you're carrying no body fat almost, like super lean. And obviously not very bulky, but once he, because he had plenty of weight problems too, once he moved up, you looked at him in some of those later fights or after, like, how did you ever make 170? One fight from Pereira at 185, I'm suddenly kind of going, wait a minute. How'd you pull that off? Because <laughs> he did not, he did not look out of place in that division in middleweight at all. Um, glad to have him find a new home. If that's, if that's really a great home for him, weight class wise. Um, middleweight's weird, man. It's not the best division in the sport. And, there's some openings there. He could make some moves. And kicking off the main card, Christian Rodriguez defeated Cameron Simon via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 129-28. I mentioned it already. If you're looking for a higher-paced, especially like scramble-heavy kind of fight, this was your fight. Rodriguez, here's the big knock on this one. He missed weight. He weighed 140. He missed weight in his previous fight when he beat Raul Rosas Jr., and turns out, um, if you do a little digging into his past, his last few fights, Rodriguez, in his last five bantamweight fights, he's missed weight three times now. This, dude, once, everybody gets one, because of the randomness of the universe. You miss three times in five fights in the same weight class, I'm sorry, this is not your weight class. You are either catastrophically undisciplined outside... You're either catastrophically undisciplined or you're trying to fight in the wrong weight class. I don't know that they should book him at 135 again. I mean that. Like, two in a row? This one by five pounds? Sorry, man, just bantamweight may not be for you. Either get your stuff together and or move up. This was a really good fight. All three rounds were close. Uh, I think it, technically it was 29-28 Simon at the end, but I'm not like, I don't object to 30-27 for Rodriguez. That's defensible. Rodriguez's striking was a bit more technical, a bit more compact. He landed better. Fun scrambles. Both guys got the back. Both guys, like, just crazy scrambles from these two. Really good fight. Um, yeah, if you watch no other fight, if I'm going to tell you which fights to look up from this after the fact. Main event, Martinez and Yanez. I almost want to say Pereira and Petrovsky because it was just 66 seconds. But maybe that one. This one. 
Um, what was the one on the prelims? I mean, you can look up McKinney and Brandon Murata lasted off 20 seconds. I think that would be it. Um, personally. So, good enough win for Rodriguez, uh, but he's got to fix that weight issue. I, you know, either by getting more disciplined in his life or by moving up in weight, one way or the other. You can't do this. You, you can't do this again. You really can't. Uh, tough loss for Simon, but you know, he was nine and zero coming into this. There's some technical stuff in his game that really needs to get smoothed out, and Rodriguez showed that here. Hopefully, he takes the right lessons. Still has a pretty bright future, I think, in the division. So it was a pretty good fight to kick things off. We got some decent fights out of this card. You know, a lot of the stuff that I said in the pre in the build up, like pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Uh, a lot of that paid off. Not to pat myself on the back too much. So, prelims. Um, my upset pick. One of them didn't pan out. I picked Simon, and he was technically an upset. Um, Darren Elkins defeats T.J. Brown via rear naked choke. 223 of the third. Um, I don't pick Darren Elkins all that often as a general rule, but there's a certain level of opposition that he's able to beat. Brown was able to, you know, thump on him a little bit, but got caught up in the grappling with him. And it's not that you can't out-wrestle Elkins. You have to be careful when you do it, because otherwise he's going to try to make you scramble, try to keep you wrestling instead of controlling and pinning. Until he gets on top, then he controls you, pins you, lands some ground and pound, but, you know, mostly it's control. He had the back for a period of time in the first round, but couldn't quite get his hands together. Third round, when he got the back, he got a pretty good gable grip, got the tap. Uh, yeah, yeah, solid enough win for Elkins. I also just had, I also just like wasn't terribly impressed with Brown's resume. Yeah, I, again, like I'm not just saying this because I won, because I won, because I picked correctly. Put me back in time, I'd still make that same pick. <laughs> it just made sense. Oh, yeah. Ozmaker's off on that one. Uh, women's bantamweight action. Tainera Lisboa defeated Javina Oliveira via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. Not much here. I'm going to be honest. Um, both women did the, you know, we're both you know, Muay Thai kickboxers, and then we do a lot of clinching and a lot of wrestling. Not much there. Uh, lightweight, Terrence McKinney knocked out Brendan Marat with a knee in 20 seconds. Um, just coming in, Marat swung, missed. McKinney got close enough, grabbed him, kneed him in the face, dropped him, finished him up. This is, I, I would like to think that McKinney has a higher ceiling than this. Um, but you give him these level of guys, he will just run over them. Uh, women's bantamweight, Melissa Dixon defeated Irina Alexeva. Uh, 229-28 and a 30-27. Solid enough outing from Dixon. I don't agree with the 30-27, for the record. Um, she's the better striker, and her more technical boxing was winning the first round until Alexeva dropped her with a right hand. Um, we had some decent enough work on the ground, but Alexeva kind of, anytime she got on her back, she wasn't very urgent about getting up. And Dixon was okay, kind of t 
top position, do some work until they get until they get forced back up. Go back to being the more technical boxer. You know, Alexeva has had more pop. Um, you know, Dixon's face was the one bloodied up at the end of this. Her nose was leaking pretty bad. But, dude, skills will win fights. And more technical fighter, Dixon, got the win. Um, you're in... <laughs> Your disrespectful placement on the card fight for the evening. Uh, Chris Gutierrez defeated Alatong Hele via unanimous decision 3027 across the board. But Gutierrez, for the record, was, was a top 15 ranked guy. He was 15, I think, coming into this. And you stuck him as the not even uh, like not even the curtain jerker hot match to maybe wake the crowd up. You gave him the like second fight on the prelims to the 15th guy in your organization in the weight class. He deserved better. Um, he tore up Alatong with calf kicks. Um, yeah, just really solid. Just overall, a level above Alatong Hele and showed that off all fight. Good stuff from Gutierrez. And kicking everything off, Emily Ducote defeated Ashley Yoder via unanimous decision at 30-27 and 229-28. Um, Ducote just kind of better. These two hit each other in the head a lot. Um... Dakota and just better striker. Pretty good body work out of Dakota. Um, cut up Yoder above both eyes, above both eyebrows. When it was all said and done, uh, Dakota kind of needed the bounce back win after, because she lost to. She had a two fight losing streak. Angela Hill and Lupita Godina. She needed the bounce back, and, and to her credit, she got it. So, solid win for her. And that was the card. We had a couple of fights that fell out. Um, the one that I think was maybe most obvious, uh, Edgar Scheidrez and Daniel Lacerda had been rebooked for this event after having the botched ending call. I shouldn't... In fairness to Chris Tognoni for that call, there's a bit where Lacerda's arm goes limp. He's not choked. It's not a traditional choke that he is in, in that respect. But you got to make sure the ref knows you're there. And if you're in Tonyoni's position, because some guys have weird variations on technique or just freakish strength, and they can get weird stuff like that. So if you see somebody start behaving a little bit like they're out, especially, dude, especially certain chokes, um, there's just certain ones that can really mess up your neck. That's one of the things Herb Dean talked about this when he, uh, waved off the fight between Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler in that bulldog choke, which I think most people think was kind of a missed call by Herb Dean. If you go out in that choke, your neck can be in serious peril. Standing guillotine kind of the same. If someone's got your neck really locked down and your body goes limp, all your weight drops down and, again, that can screw with your neck. So, I can understand being, I can understand the abundance of caution and if you, if you just look at what Lacerda's arm does, yeah, that looks like it goes limp, like you're going unconscious. It's still a missed call, but... It's more understandable than a lot of people were giving the ref giving Tonyoni credit for. Um, anyway, they got rebooked here. 
Lacerda had some medical issues. Fight got called off. Uh, and unfortunate, but we lost that one. Um, the other fight we lost, this I didn't preview this one because it got canceled a little bit earlier than that. But uh, Tetsuro Tyra and David Dvorak were supposed to be on this card, which... Um, unfortunate, because I think that would be a good fight. I hope they rebook it. Uh, but that was the night. Uh, I mentioned already your fight of the night, Yusuf and Barboza performances, Jonathan Martinez and Michelle Pereira. You could have gone with... You could easily have put Terrence McKinney in there over Pereira. But that's just... Again, you could have. Giving it to Pereira is hardly some egregious snub. Um, we do get another example here, though, of which fight was it? It was Melissa Dixon. After the fight, was like, hey, I think that fight was worth a post-fight bonus. Guys, I don't know when this trend started, but the UFC has not handed out a post-fight bonus to somebody who has asked for it in a long t in several fights or events minimum. That trend, they don't like fighters begging for money publicly. They're a, you know, multi-billion dollar company handing out peanuts to fighters. And they're worried about the PR of fighters going, hey, please, 50 grand would do a lot for me. As ESPN is signing you a check for multiple millions of dollars for each event. So if you want a post-fight bonus, fighters, don't ask. That's They seem to be discouraging that behavior. All right, but that was the event. Full report, MMAZona411mania.com, as always, so give it a read if you are so inclined. I always appreciate it. All righty. Let's move on to the big one, shall we? So UFC 294, before, um, before I preview the individual fights, let's talk for just a minute about how things changed in the last week. So news breaks uh, like Tuesday, I think it was. Yeah, it would have been Tuesday because it like, might have been Monday evening and then Tuesday kind of because Dana was asked about it um, at the Contender Series post-fight presser. Um, Charles Oliveira out of the fight with Islam Makashev during his last sparring session before flying out to Abu Dhabi. Um, in the last round of his last sparring session, he and the other guy bang heads. Opens up a pretty nasty cut. You can find pictures of it online if you're so inclined. Can't fight with that kind of cut. It's it's that bad. Like it it required stitches. I think it was it was a non-trivial amount. And Dana White got a little bit pissy about. Um, look, this was never going to heal in time for a fight. It's a bad enough cut. His thing was. Don't just, like, do it at the gym or have a guy call us. We, you know, we'll get you hooked up with someone who'll stitch it up properly. The way this cut was, he, he was just talking about, look, if a cut's deep enough, part of what you don't want to do is, with especially with deep cuts, if all you do is, like, pull the skin together a little bit and then stitch the surface... The stuff inside kind of spreads back out, and you get really bigger masses of scar tissue that build up. When you, what you want to do, you want to get um, stitches that are like two different layers of them. 
You stitch up inside first to bring everything that's below the level that you would get with just a surface cut. You stitch that together close so it heals closer together. Then you stitch up the stuff on the surface. And between the two different layers, everything's more compacted. Scarring is minimized pretty significantly. I mean, I've got... Uh, look, I don't have any facial scars at the moment. Uh, see if that holds for later in life. But I've got a couple that are... Uh, I've got the one, actually, that... i got one on my, uh, my back left shoulder. Yeah. I put my shoulder through a window. Um, it's not a long story. It's just a very uninteresting story. It's the only... I think it's the only set of stitches I've had. I've been very fortunate. I have not been too banged up in life, physically. Mentally and emotionally. Ooh. My mental health battles, man. I would... Dude, I would take a couple more broken bones throughout the course of my life if my mental health could have been in a better place ten years ago. I, I would take that in a heartbeat. Because I've never, I've never really broken a bone. I was very young. I had a green streak fracture. Um, but I've never, like, actually broken one. Um, again, very healthy overall, but... Put my shoulder through a window. It's a small. It's small, but you know, had to go get stitches. It's just over a tight piece of skin, and only the surface ones. And it's eh, it's a pretty noticeable scar. I do wonder. Now, look, it's not a. I'm not throwing shade at the nice emergency room people who were able to stitch me up. But. I do wonder, and it might not have been deep enough, but it, point being, you minimize scarring that way. So the UFC is like, please, we could have helped you. Um, I don't know, maybe they could have. But I, I think even under ideal circumstances, Olivero's eye was never... Dude, even if it had kind of closed to the point where like, eh, you don't need the stitches anymore. The first time Makashev hit that, it was splitting wide open. It takes skin... It takes, a, it takes longer to properly heal that than you might think. Um, and it stays... The connection there stays loose for long... Again, for longer than the stitches are necessarily in. So that was probably always going to happen. I'm really unfortunate. But in to save the day, so to speak, the UFC... Now... Mateusz Gamrot was the backup for this fight. Here's the thing to anyone out there listening. If you're the backup, you are break glass in case of emergency. You are the last resort. If the promotion has a, about two weeks, there's a little less than that, like 11 days. If the promotion has enough time... You're just going to stay as the if anything happens during the last 48 hours option. So they called people. Apparently they called Justin Gagey, and I don't know if it was a weight issue or whatnot, but that wasn't able to happen. Ultimately, stepping in, UFC featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky. I wanted to see the rematch between Makashev and Volkanovsky, personally. I really wish it were under uh, more ideal circumstances. This is... I've seen a lot of people talk about this, and 
let me before I talk about this fight and how I think it's going to go let me preface some of because a lot of people are talking about like the narrative of this you know, Volk stepping up on you know short notice he has nothing to lose that's that's not true here's what he's risking in addition to his physical health which is always in peril when you fight he had surgery not that long ago um, on his elbow. Now, I don't think it was anything major, but originally, like part of the reason they went with Oliveira and Makashev for the Abu Dhabi card was that Volkanovski didn't think he was going to be ready. Maybe it's just more money. Maybe it's... I don't know. I don't know exactly why, but we're back here. And he felt ready to accept the fight. So, but what is he, you might be asking again, what's he risking? If he loses this fight, even if it's another close fight like their first one, I kind of think it will be. Even if he loses, even if it's that kind of fight. If he loses, he's not getting another fight with Islam Makashev. He is, if he has genuine designs at competing at 155, he is going to be on the outside looking in of the title picture until Makashev drops that belt. Now, maybe there's an outside shot that he could do something super impressive and force the UFC's hand, but that's what it would need. He can't, You can't just win a fight or two and say, I demand a rematch. You've had two shots. He came up short both times. You'd need something pretty spectacular. And... That's what he's risking. He is risking his two-divisional aspirations for the immediate and potentially foreseeable future on very short notice. Now, the flip side is the opportunity for almost unparalleled glory. If Volkanovsky on 12 days notice against comes in to Abu Dhabi, hostile foreign territory, and beats Islam Makashev, that will be one of the greatest things this sport has ever produced. I don't say that lightly, but I mean it. He... I don't even know that there's... There's not really a whole lot that this is, would be comparable to. Their first fight, super close. Scored it for Volk in real time. Don't object to Makashev winning it. Uh, don't object to that at all, personally. Super close, super technical, great fight in that respect. If he fights the form that Islam is in, if he beats him in hostile territory on short notice to become a two-division champion... That's, I mean, dude's already undefeated at featherweight. His only loss at lightweight is to Makashev. His only other loss was up at welterweight. Ball places. <laughs> He's got that big old winning streak at featherweight. He's got several featherweight title defenses. Under these conditions, if he beats Makashev to climb that peak... That we have to start, nobody's going to want to do this. 
You can argue recency bias or too much rose-colored glasses and nostalgia. We have to start thinking about Volkanovsky as one of the all-time. And I don't just mean all-time. I mean, like, all-time. That would be... Look at his featherweight run real fast. Because his featherweight run... In the UFC. Because his UFC debut was actually up at lightweight. Then he drops to featherweight. Rota, Young, Kennedy, Elkins, Mendez. Stopped Mendez. Beats Aldo cleanly. Beats Holloway twice. Beats Ortega. Stops Chan Sung Jung. Beats Holloway more decisively than anyone has beaten him. Maybe ever. Certainly in his current form. Goes up. Loses to Mikashev. Goes back down. Beats the crap out of Yair Rodriguez. Stops him in the third round. Yeah, this is all-time great. This is borderline Mount Rushmore stuff if he beats Makashev here. I mean, again, I mean that in all sincerity. Like, that's... You have to put that man in the conversation with guys like George and Anderson. I don't know that you want to... You ready to take him off ready to take one of them off and put him on Mount Rushmore at this moment. But that is absolutely the kind of run he's having. And if he, again, especially if he wins, that is one of the greatest moments that MMA will have ever produced. And that will put Volkanovsky in the rarest of rarefied air. I don't know that I favor him to do that. Much as I scored their first fight for him, Makashev is the kind of guy you have to be very well prepared for. Not saying he can't be. I'm not saying that he hasn't been thinking about it, but before this, I mean, Volk mentioned this. I think some other people have confirmed it. Like He was pretty close to signing about to defend the featherweight title in January against Ilya Teporia. It's a great fight, by the way. Neither Yair Rodriguez or Ilya Teporia have a whole lot in common with Islam Makashev. I don't know that enough time has passed for Volkanovsky to have super dialed in. Because, dude, that first fight with him and Makashev, the difference between them was so thin. It's tactical. Volkanovsky, I think, hit the nail on the head in his post-fight thing when he talked about it. He thought Makashev underestimated Volkanovsky's wrestling. I think that's true. And he admitted, I may have underestimated Makashev's striking. Like that That's the dynamic there. The striking didn't quite go as much for Volkanovsky as he might have expected. And the wrestling was a lot closer to even than most people anticipated. Volk you know, got the better of it at times. And then, you know, Volk Volk absolutely closed stronger, dropping Makashev in that last round. But there's some real fine-tuning that has to go into that kind of a switch. It's not something you can do in a day or a week. You have to really dial in. You have to really build very specific patterns. And I don't know if 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 this notice is enough to have done that. Volkanovsky's basic style, his basic approach, what he does like every day, does cover a lot of ground. 
against pretty much any style. But we're talking about a guy that you have to be super sharp against. Now, the flip side is kind of true as well. Charles Oliveira has almost nothing in common with Alexander Volkanovsky. There's a lot of very, very specific stuff Makashev will have been doing that has to kind of go out the window. You have to be ready against Oliveira for a more offensively-minded kind of dynamo in that respect. You have to be very defensive, a little bit counter-heavy, and he could... Given how Oliveira fights, Makashev out-wrestling him, especially like clinch to a trip to some serious control, that's a lot of what he did in their first fight. Not exclusively, but a lot of it. That doesn't work on Volkanovski. We've seen him try it. But in that same vein, there's some very specific wrestling stuff he might have had to work on to deal with Volk, and there's some specific striking stuff he really will have needed to deal with. Now, Oliveira on the feet is not exactly a picnic, but he's a volume, a you know, quantity over quality kind of guy. And being prepared for that is not the same as being prepared for Volkanovsky. So they're both having to do this on short notice. They're both... Makasha's facing a guy, is switching from a guy we know was wildly different from the guy he got, and Volkanovsky will not have been preparing for someone similar to Makashev. This is still super close. Their first fight was super close. This fight will be super close. The odds are with Makashev. And I don't think that's unfair. Um, he's He won the first fight. He's the one who's been preparing for a fight on this date. Volkanovski, dude, getting in five-round shape is just... Volk's in really good condition as a general rule, but five rounds against Islam Makashev, that's a special kind of physical conditioning you have to be in. And you can't keep yourself at that condition year-round. It's just not feasible. I, I can't tell you how tempted I am to pick the upset here. I don't, you know, my pick doesn't actually mean anything other than my own pride. I don't even keep track of the stuff as a general rule. That's one of my things. I mentioned this. Next year, I might set up a spreadsheet, and I will keep track of... I'll keep track and see how I do at the end of the year. Um, yeah, we'll just we'll see how that goes. But for the moment, all I have on the line is my own pride. I don't you know, bet or anything. You know what? Why not? Why not pick the upset? I, I'm i not going to be surprised if either guy wins in any way. They could knock each other out. They could submit each other. We get another decision. All in play. I'd be su- I will say this, though. I'll be a little surprised if Volkanovski's able to win a decision in Abu Dhabi against Islam Makashev. I know the judges are going to be, you know, whoever the UFC flies in or whatnot, but just... Just throwing that out there. Be a li- that's probably the least likely outcome, all things considered. I mean, apart from weirdness like, you know, injury or DQ or all that kind of stuff. Just just a thought. Just a thought. I'm going to go with Volkanovsky. Screw it. Um, I don't even think that's... I don't think that's the most likely outcome. But why not? 
Just why not? <laughs> um, our co-main event got changed as well. Supposed to be Kamzat Shemaev and Paulo Costa. Costa came out and revealed he had elbow surgery. Um, not able to make the date. Understandable. So who do you? Th so in steps. There were some options. I can tell you the one I would have been most interested in personally, and it's not what we got. Personally, most interested in Bo Nickel. Now, Bo's come out and said they didn't even call him to t about the fight. Now, he might have been further down on the list. Because, look, when this happens, you have a list, right? And you go down the list. He might have been a little bit further down than the guy we got. But apparently, according to him, the UFC did not call him. What we got is former welterweight champion Kamaru Usman. And another fight where things are radically different. First of all, the UFC also came out and said, yeah, whoever wins this fight gets the next title shot, which... Man, if I'm DDP, I'm pissed. Now... Let's be clear also about one thing. The next middleweight title shot is not necessarily going to the winner of this fight. It's going to whoever is healthy and ready whenever the UFC slots the middleweight title onto a pay-per-view. That's it. I believe, still, Drakus Duplessis is your rightful number one contender. Beating Robert Whitaker means something. Especially stopping him. And it, that means more than either of these guys beating the other one. But, you know, the UFC is the UFC. They are petty and punitive. And DDP said, I'm not in a position to accept that fight with Adesanya on the schedule that you laid out. Because the UFC's breakneck schedule is their unwavering master. And... But they hold a grudge about stuff like that, so, you know. But, look, watch the winner of this fight get injured, and it be Drickus either again, or if they'll go to somebody else if those two aren't available. Like, the UFC has a taskmaster. It is the schedule. That's kind of where it is. So, here's the thing about this. Kamaru Usman has only been taken down once in his entire UFC career. Dude, Usman was maybe on the verge of surpassing George St. Pierre as the best welterweight ever. Before the Leon, before those two Leon Edwards fights. And... I don't think that was... I don't think that was ill-founded talk. This was a guy who had never lost in the UFC... A guy whose rounds lost you could count on kind of one hand in any sort of serious capacity. Who had he didn't have as many title defenses as George, but he had a longer winning streak than George in the division. You again, you could make the argument, not saying I would necessarily, but it was becoming an issue. And then Leon rallies in the fifth round of a fight he's losing to knock out Usman and upset the world. Um So, but the only time he's been taken down was actually that that first title fight with Leon in the first round. They clinch up, and a little bit of a wrong step from Usman. Edwards is able to get kind of an inside trip, 
Usman desperately tries to keep a roll going after he hits the ground. Can't do it. Only time in his entire career he's been taken, in his entire UFC career he's been taken out. And he's fought guys who have tried. Um, Warley Alves actually kind of tried. Sean Strickland, not so much. Um, Emil Weber, Mack tried to take him down. Maya tried to take him down. Rafael Dos Anjos tried to take him down. Tyron Woodley tried to take him down. Colby Covington both times tried to take him down. Nothing doing. Um, Shemaev's going to try to take him down. Now, Shemaev is bigger. And that might play a role. Shemaev's style of wrestling will also play a big factor in that. He doesn't... His double leg doesn't come from traditional double leg range. Normally, you're fairly close when you try that. Um, he just tries to football tackle you. Um, power punching will be an issue. Not that Usman is some pillow fist. He's knocked a few people out. But... I get, his striking is also a lot more measured, and Shemaev is a lot more active. That's going to be a problem. If this were five rounds, I would favor Usman. Over three, that muddies the waters a little bit. I haven't seen the odds. I knew Shemaev was actually a favorite over Costa. Um, the line is here. Um, yeah, they've got Shemaev at minus 250-ish. If you don't mind betting, and like if you don't mind losing, plus money on Kamaru Usman here might be a decent, it might be a good value bet to be candid. Um, <sighs> it's a tough one. It's just a really tough one. The layoff for Shemaev might actually play into this as well. Usman's handled buzzsaws before. Maybe not buzzsaws that are exactly like Shemaev. Physicality is going to be a problem for him in this weight class. Usman's just a more natural welterweight. That's kind of his natural weight class. He's really yoked in that weight class, but... Physicality is going to be a problem. My losing streak's a problem. How old is he? Oh, that's the other thing. Sorry. That's actually the other thing about Volkanovski and Makashev. Volkanovski is now over 35. If he bucks that trend, for the record, um, I think the I think the uh, the line has shifted. Um, UFC, male UFC fighters in title fight UFC title fights over 30, 35 and over is now like two and 30. I think if you include female fighters, it goes like two. It's a little bit bigger, and there's a draw in there because Shevchenko and uh, Grosso just fought to a draw. So that's a. If he bucks that trend as well on short notice against Makashev in enemy territory to become a two division champion, yeah. That's. That's big stuff. Um, but, sorry, to answer my question about Usman's age, he's 36. Um, Shmaev's only 29. 
again, if you don't mind losing money, the value on the value plus money on Usman actually might be a good value bet. I'm still gonna go with Shemaev. I I don't especially hang on, especially plus two hundred on Usman. That'd be a real tempting value bet. Shemaev I'm okay picking him. I don't know that I'd pick him at like three to one, which is what he is at the moment. So, all right. Uh, light heavyweight Magomed Ankalaev, maybe the best light heavyweight in the division, in the UFC's division. Um, coming off of that draw with Jan Blahovich that kept the light heavyweight title from having a holder, which it still doesn't, but. Did they? I think they've announced. Um, did they announce? Yeah, they announced uh, Prohachka. I was talking about this a while ago. Prohachka and Pereira for the belt. Ankalaev might still come on and win that belt. Um, he's fighting Johnny Walker. This. I don't want to say it's a total setup. Walker's won his last three. But Ankalaev has generally demonstrated to be a cut above. Feels like, again, a little bit of a showcase. I don't mean that Johnny Walker is not a chump. But this feels like it's designed for Ankalaev to win. Come out afterwards and say, I got next. And you know, do it in front of a fairly happy crowd. Um, we were su- Next fight, we were supposed to have uh, Ikram Alexkerov and Nasruddin Imavov. Which would have been a really good fight. Fortunately, Imavov had a visa issue. Because he is, I don't know what this would be exactly. He's a, Imavov is, yeah, he was born in Russia, but raised in France. No, he, his family arrived in France when he was nine. So he's, I think he, re, he reps the French flag as a, again, as kind of a general rule. He's coming off of that no contest with Chris Curtis. Um, did they change that? Did they officially change that, or is this somebody playing around with the, the results on that card? No, no, actual no contest. Okay. Um, he lost to Sean Strickland before that. That was up at light heavyweight. Uh, it was kind of a short notice thing. That's a loss that is not going to be held too strongly against him, given that Strickland is now the champion. Um, anyway, would have liked to see him against Alex Skerdov. Unfortunately, again, visa issue for Imavov. In steps, Warley Alves, who fought in January, lost to Nicholas Dalby, lost to Jeremiah Wells before that. Um, he's been a UFC career welterweight. With, uh, sorry, one exception to that. His UFC debut, he won his season of The Ultimate Fighter Brazil at middleweight, and then immediately we're like, no, I'm not a middleweight. So apart from that, he's got that one, he, he quickly guillotined Colby Covington back in 2015, then promptly lost to Barbarino and Usman. And yeah, uh, he's stepping in on fairly short notice. Alaskarov is pretty darn good. Um... His only loss, I saw. I looked this fight up actually because it was a short fight, but informative for both guys. His only loss is to Kamzat Shemaev. Um, 
He couldn't get Shemaev couldn't get a takedown because Alaskarov is a multiple-time European Sambo champion. Is he world Sambo champion? International combat uh, Sambo. So yeah, world world championships. Um, yeah, a couple of different organizations. Really good combat Samboist. And Shemaev couldn't get him down, but did stop him with an uppercut. Um, since then, again, Oskarov hasn't lost. Beat Denis Tolulin, Miro Jerkovic, Nashan Burrell. Got into the, beat, ran over somebody on the Contender Series. Then he knocked the crap out of Phil Hawes at UFC 288. Been out for a while. Um... His last fight was... Sorry, he has not. I misread that. Uh, May of this year, so decent clip. Would have been curious to see him in Imavov. He is probably going to just steamroll Horley Alves. And at bantamweight, Saeed Nurmagomedov and Muin Gafarov. Was this always this fight? Because that's a bit of a setup. And I don't mind saying that one. Um, I like Saeed Nurmagomedov. He doesn't train out of the um, last name, despite the last name of Nurmagomedov. He doesn't train out of. No, this was always this fight. Okay. Um, Gafarov is Tajik. Yeah, he's Taj um, from Tajikistan. 18 and five. Lost his UFC debut. Yeah, again, kind of a setup here. Said needs a little bit of a bounce back. He had that uh, tough loss to Jonathan Martinez. But, you know, his only UFC losses are to Hani Barcelos and Martinez. Said Yukub Kakramanov gave him a heck of a fight before he caught that um, ninja choke in the second round. I expect Said to win this one pretty handily. So that's the main card. Prelims. Uh, flyweight, Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott and Mohamed Makayev. Big step up for Makayev. Um... I thought he got a little bit lucky when he, uh, Malcolm Gordon, I thought was giving him some problems and then he, you know, caught a late finish. Um, Fieldho gave him problems. I, I don't, I think this is going to be a bit too much too soon for him. I'm going with Elliot here. Dude, Makayev's offensive output is, is like negligible. He's got, Pretty good takedowns, and he's a pretty good overall grappler. But other than that, like his ground and pound is almost non-existent. His stand-up, again, almost non-existent. Um, definitely needs to fix some of that. And I think Elliot's gonna just kind of go, you know, you're good, but you still got some growth. Uh, lightweight, Mohamed Yaya. Where are? It's a minor aside. Um, okay, people. So, Mohamed Makayev is a prohibitive favorite most places, around minus 500. <sighs> okay. I'm not saying he can't win. I'm not saying he can't win this fight. I don't think he will, and those odds are... Those odds are not justified. If you know how good Tim Elliott is, and I do, and you've seen the weaknesses in Makayev's game, and I have, 
You're asking for trouble set with odds like that. Just throwing it out there. You are asking for trouble. Uh, Mohammed Yahya, who is oh, from the UAE, actually. Home fight for him. 12-3, and three, I think this is his debut. Yeah. Brings five-fight win streak. And no on his list. Win or loss. No. Um, he's fighting Trevor Peak, <laughs> which is I don't know if I'd call that a gimme. Peak is just a wild man. Um, Peak one and one in the UFC had that wild fight with Eric Gonzalez, then lost the most entertain entertaining parking lot fight you'll ever see against Chepe Mariscal. That's a tough one. Yeah, the overall experience of Yaya might be might be a problem. He's got 15 fights. Peak has eight. Yaya's a pretty heavy favorite. Not heavy. I, oh, actually, Peak's Peak's the slight favorite. Hmm. Ah, they'll be trying to give Yaya a winnable fight. Hello, man. I, you know what? I think the odds are about right on this one. Close, but maybe leaning towards peak. I'm gonna do that too. I'll lean towards him. Not gonna be shocked if he can't. Kind of, I say this with affection, donk his way through this. But, dude, if Yaya's never fought someone who fights like Peak, um, you have to be ready for that kind of fighter. Now, he could very well be. He's probably seen Peak's fights, but you got to be ready for that. Otherwise, it'll catch you off guard. Uh, let's see. Bantamweight, Javid Basharat and Victor Henry. Yeah, I feel pretty I feel pretty good picking Basharat here. He's undefeated, but 3-0 in the UFC. I actually like Victor Henry. Uh, I think he's a pretty darn good fighter. He's 23-6. and six. He... <sighs> He had a really good UFC win in his debut. He upset um, Hani Barcelos. That loss to Rafael Asensal, though, is, that's kind of glaring. He beat Tony Gray. Yeah. Look, this is a very competitive fight. Um, the odds have Basharat as a very big favorite. I'm picking Basharat. I don't mind doing that, but those odds are a tad disrespectful to Henry. Again, you might be asking for trouble with that. You very well might, but I'm okay picking Basharat to win. Basharat's very good. Middleweight, Abu Azaitar and Cedricus Dumas. Eh, poor old Cedricus. Um, trotting him out again. He's 8-1. and one. He's about 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Beat Cody Brundage. Um, this is more designed for Azaitar. He's only 1-1 one one in the UFC, and yeah, Marc-Andre Barrio kind of ground him out late. Been out for a while. Yeah, so wasn't he one of those guys who had, a, like, the drug issue? Um, oh, that would have happened, happened earlier. Might have been the other Azaitar. Is there another one? I think there's, an, cause there's, I think there's two of them. 
Um, I, this is kind of designed for a Zytar to get a win here, and I tend to like his chances. Let's see, next up... We have... Mike Breeden and Anshul Jubilee. Um, Jubilee is Indian. One is UFC... Oh, he won the, uh, the Road to the UFC. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, season one. So he, yeah, he, he got a pretty decent win to win that. Um, very inexperienced, though. Then again, like, Breeden's not exactly a world beater in that respect. I mean, he's got more fights, but he's 0-3 in the UFC. I mean, look, Alexander Hernandez, Natan Levy, and Terrence McKinney is actually a pretty tough stretch. But... They're, this feels like they're they're not trying to run over Jubilee with high-end lightweights right away, and that's not even unfair. I'm going with Jubilee here. Uh, let's see. Featherweights. Nathaniel Wood. You buried Nathaniel Wood on the prelims? That's a shame. Um... Why is he fighting? That's... He should be fighting much higher on this card. Much. Anyway, he's fighting Mohamed Naimov. Um, Wood on a pretty good winning streak. Yeah, three in a row. Charles Rosa, Charles Jordan, and then Andre Feely. There's losses. John Dodson and Casey Kenny are the only guys to beat him in the UFC. The problem with Wood... I think he's just been a touch inactive. He missed all of 21... I mean, he's trying to fix that a little bit, so. On a pretty good set. And Naimov, I mean, I didn't actually didn't dislike Naimov's last fight. He's, what, 9-2? I think 1-1 one one in the UFC? 1-0. Beat Jamie Malarkey, but I don't pick against... This this is a tough second fight in the UFC for him. Go from your debut fighting another like debutante to fighting Nathaniel Wood. Um. Yeah, this is this is um his UFC debut Naimov was up at lightweight I think. Now, he looked more like a featherweight, so I don't think the weight cut's going to be too much of a problem. But that's a rough draw, man. That's just a rough draw. Going with Wood there, and I don't feel too bad about that. Um, let's see. Next up, Jinyu Fry and Victoria Dudakova. So, Fry is on a three-fight losing streak. Um, yeah, she's just never found her footing in the UFC, really. Um, Dudakova had a successful UFC debut... Uh, the experience factor, again, might be a problem. Uh, she was actually struggling a bit with Estella Nunes. I mean, I shouldn't say that. She and Nunes only fought for 34 seconds before Nunes had that um, elbow dislocation going to the ground. Uh, another contender series vet here in Dudakova. Feels a little bit like, again, we're given... 
Trying to usher Fry out the door a little bit. Fry's experience might wind up being a bit too much, but my hunch is Dudikova. And some of, if you come off the Contender Series and the UFC likes you, you'll get two, two or three fights that are slightly softer touches. This definitely falls within that pattern. Not saying Fry is again Fry is not a slub, but she's 38 and on a three-fight losing streak. You can see the intent here. All I'm saying. And kicking everything off, a middleweight fight between, I'm going to butcher this gentleman's first name, um, Sharabutin Magomedov and Bruno Silva. Um, so Bruno Silva, 23-9. Fun fighter. Um, I enjoy Bruno Silva. He's been up and down in the UFC. He's had some tough losses. I mean, that, uh, that loss to Alex Pereira, that, that hurt him a lot. And then, you know, Gerald Mershart coming off a loss to Brendan Allen. Um, Magomedov is 11-0. and 0. Dude, this guy looks like he's out of a movie. Sorry, just looking at it. Dude, the guy, like, central casting for the heavy. <laughs> Make it this guy. Um, has a fair amount of modified rules fights. I don't know what's up with that. Might have been the promotion he was fighting for. Um, I don't know enough to know about what they've modified out of the rules, but undefeated. Eleven, hang on, eleven and zero. Bruno Silva's a tough draw for your UFC debut. A real tough draw. The odds are actually leaning towards Magomedov. I can understand why, and there's some miles on Silva, and he can kind of be bullied on occasion. I'm going to fall... I'm going to... I hate going with... The, I hate saying what the odds are after I say my pick, because uh, before I say my pick, because sometimes it seems like I'm just following the odds. Man, if these two were in Brazil, I would pick Magomedov in a heartbeat. <laughs> because that amuse, it amused me to pick Russians to be Brazilians in Brazil. Um, especially if it's called for. I don't think it's uncalled for. I almost... Do I want to reverse that? I mean, we're not in Russia, but... The reverse... The Uno reverse card here. <laughs> Am I going to pick a Brazilian to beat a Russian? Especially a Muslim Russian... In Abu Dhabi? <laughs> I don't think it's... Un wouldn't be uncalled for. Would not be uncalled for. Yeah, all right, screw it. Let's go with Bruno. Let's go with Bruno Silva. Slightly... Maybe a little bit silly pick on my part, but I'm okay with that. If I'm very wrong, I'm very wrong. I can live with it. And that's it. That's UFC 294 as it currently stands. Um, we have an earlier start time for this one, please remember. This will start at... Uh, let me double check. I think the prelims... So, main card is 2 p.m. Eastern. It's noon my time. Prelims are going to start at... Oh, 8. Uh, I don't like getting up that early. <laughs> oh... 
And I'll do it because, you know, it's my job. I just don't like doing it. <laughs> I don't like getting up that early. So, don't forget, early start time. Now, that'll be 10 a, that'll be 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, no. Strike that. Bad math on my part. Well, that'll be 10. Right? Yeah, it's just plus 2. It's just... Yeah, I'm just... I'm doing terrible math. Sorry. Yeah, that'll be 10 a.m. Eastern, and then it starts... 2 p.m. Eastern main card, right? Math. Got it. Time zone math. I hate it. So, I will be there covering this one for you. How is Kirov really ranked? Hang on. I have to confirm this very quickly. No, he is not. Okay, whoever... He wound up, I get what happened here. He wound up moving over in the display to the spot Nasruddin Imavov had occupied. Imavov's ranked number 11 in the division. Alaskarov is not. Okay. Just had to double check that. That's an error on the way this is displayed in the UFC's official page because, you know. Um. All right. Anyway, yeah. I'll cover that Saturday. So stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right, let's move on. Let me. I'm gonna do this quickly. So let's talk for just a minute or two about Misfit Boxing, which happened right uh, Saturday. Um, your main event for that was Tommy Fury beating KSI via decision, unanimous decision, initially around, announced erroneously as majority. Look. Um, yeah, Tommy Fury won that fight fair and square. There was some, there was some stuff going on there. Like, Fury had a point deducted for hitting the back of the head. My issue is not that there was a point deducted from him for doing that. My issue is KSI was doing that and the referee said nothing. Commentary for this was unbearable. Utterly unbearable. Um, Fury won this fight. Dude, the live odds on this, if you can get live odd betting on this one, going into the last round, Fury was like a minus five, somewhere between minus five and minus 700. Asking to get taken. Asking to get taken. You're listening to the commentary, and it's bull. Utterly bull. Fury won this fight easily. After the fight, Fury said, I'm done with this, you know, influencer crap. Go fight a real boxer. Get your head taken off. You you probably shouldn't have beaten Jake Paul. But, you know. All right, go. You want to go back to real boxing? I don't blame you. Go ahead. You're not a good boxer. KSI is just worse. The fight that had heat on it was the co-main event when Logan Paul beat Dylan Dennis via disqualification, I think was the official ruling, in, like, the waning minutes of the last round. Look, if you were going to bet on this fight, betting the DQ was always the right way to go. Dennis was never going to do any good on the feet. And then when he tried to do 
jujitsu stuff, he was going to get disqualified. That's what happened. That's always how this was going to go. Um, so, main event fight, KSI and Fury sucked. Absolutely sucked. This fight was a farce. Logan Paul is more of a clown and a performer than a fighter, and I'm not even knocking him for it. He's actually a pretty darn good professional wrestler. And Dylan Dennis is a parasite. He is a blood-sucking parasite attached at, at a pressure point on the combat sports world. And he utterly embarrassed himself. Utterly. In every capacity. I don't just mean boxing, where we always knew he was a heavy bag. That's all he was. He's a glorified heavy bag. He tried to take down Logan Paul and couldn't. Embarrassing. The only word for it. Embarrassing. After watching this, I'm not... If these two had an MMA fight, I might actually favor Logan Paul. Which is insanity, but I might. Uh, and then we got a whole brawl after the fact. It was, again, this was an embarrassment. It was a farce. Uh, and I feel bad for anyone that paid to watch it. L- let me cl- let me let me caveat that. If you got enjoyment out of this, co- uh, equivalent to the amount of money you paid for it, Godspeed, party on. That doesn't speak well of your taste, but my taste has been questionable at times, too. That's all I can... I'm not... I I cannot sit up here with an air of superiority. I can just... I can state the fact. Doesn't speak well of your taste. Um... (laughs) After the fight, Logan Paul said he wanted a U.S. title shot against Rey Mysterio, who is the U.S. champion in WWE. Rey on Twitter like, dude, I'm not hard to find. I'm on SmackDown every week. (laughs) You weren't there this last week, Rey, just for the record, but the point generally stands. I've got nothing against Rey. Rey's awesome. You know, Ray and Logan Paul, Crown Jewel's coming up, man. Some of those Saudi, like, like one of those Saudi princes, sons, or whatnot likes Logan Paul, so he'll be there in some capacity. Um, again, this was a farce. Dennis cannot go away fast enough. Logan Paul should not be in a professional fighting capacity ever again. Stick to pro wrestling, man. You're, you're good at it. I don't... That's not an insult. I... My personal relationship with professional wrestling as a genre of entertainment waxes and wanes. I'm paid to cover it at the moment, so I cover it, and I try to be knowledgeable about it. Logan Paul is good at that. He ain't very good at this. I Look, I take Jake Paul somewhat seriously as a boxer because Jake Paul takes boxing seriously. Which is crazy to say, and I don't necessarily say you, that doesn't mean you have to think better of him, but... Look, does Jake Paul take boxing seriously? Yes. 
Yes, he does. And there's, at this point, a giant amount of evidence to support that statement. Will he ever, you know, look, is he ever going to be like a world-class boxer? No. He got into the game too late. That's, but, but again, does he take it seriously? Yeah. And if you take the skill seriously, you will see improvements in the skill. Assuming you have good training. As a, there are some caveats to that statement, and it's actually important that I address that. If you start at zero and go six months later, you actually will see, at any given skill, you'll see a pretty good chunk of improvement. Because you'll learn how to do it. The difference between, like, the eight to ten month mark, like, where you'll find out if you have aptitude is more if you go, like, a year-ish into it. What do you look like six months from that? Because after a year, you've got all the found, and this is any skill. This is any skill. Writing, drawing, painting, any martial art. That year to 18-month gap, give or take. That's kind of where you're going to find out. Maybe it's even different than that, but you, you know what I mean. Like There is a point at which, well, it, the notion that anyone can improve in six months dramatically falls off a cliff. And where the, what that point is depends on the skill in question and not even your like of it, but your aptitude for it, because that's a, that's a part of this. So I need to walk back that statement just a little bit, but as a general rule... Like how again, how far is Jake Paul gonna go? I don't know, but my hunch is not terribly far in the ladder of legitimate boxing. But he takes the sport seriously, and I I can't deny that because I'm not gonna deny reality. So anyway, sorry, sorry to get back on that tangent. Um, that's the only stuff I'm gonna talk about from that because it took up a lot of oxygen and it's loosely MMA adjacent because Dennis is loosely adjacent to MMA. Dude, Conor McGregor out on Twitter after the fact going, I'm, I was impressed with Dylan Danis. Really? Uh, I, I gotta say this publicly as well. So, two things about Dylan Danis. Especially about his jujitsu. Okay. He has won nothing of value at the black belt level. Nothing. As a brown belt, he was part of... a because um, he originally trained at a Marcelo Garcia's uh, team. He was on the brown belt, I forget what Marcelo calls like the all-star team or whatever, like the competition team at the high end. A brown belt, that's where he was. As a black belt, he's won nothing of value on the jiu-jitsu scene. Nothing. He's also such an odious human being that Marcelo Garcia kicked him out of the gym. There are jiu-jitsu coaches who have... You're going to get me on a tangent here about jiu-jitsu coaches. Marcelo Garcia, let me talk about Marcelo specifically, has one of the most sterling reputations, not only for the competition and quality of jiu-jitsu students he produces, but as a quality human being in the sport, in that space. He is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet in the jiu-jitsu world. 
if you're a if you're enough of a problem that Garcia is kicking Marcelo Garcia is removing you that is a damning indictment on everything you are as a human being everything so Dennis can go back to trolling and pretending that he's not been losing parking lot fights or fights with bouncers for the last two years I you know what if I'm mad at Khabib Nurmagomedov for anything his attacking of Dylan Dennis physically after beating Connor shown a spotlight on Dylan Dennis that did not deserve to be there, and he has not left it since, and it has been a giant waste of everyone's time. Stop giving him attention. He does not merit it. I didn't talk about him at all before this. I talked about him briefly when he here. I am not going to talk about him after this. Unless he signs to fight someone in MMA, I, he is not worth my time or yours. Last thing on the influencer combat sports sphere in general. One I have to laugh at, one I want to see. So old man Hendo, Dan Henderson, out on Twitter going, I would like to do this. I don't know how they'd handle my power. They don't really know how to fight. And your entire spine is fused together through ossification. I don't... I have to laugh at this. I laugh at this notion. Here's what I do want to see, though. So, the immortal Matt Brown took to Twitter and said, this is a joke. I don't know if any of these influencer types would be interested in doing Muay Thai rules, but I would be interested. Matt Mother and Brown... Ending ending these people in Muay Thai rules, I will throw down my money for that tomorrow. I mean that wholeheartedly. Shut up and take my money, GIF. Take it. Watching Matt Brown wreck those people for bigger checks than the UFC would ever give him would make my day. Might make my year. If there's a market for that, make it happen. I beg of you. I just want to watch Matt Brown take one of these chumps and elbow them into the ground. Alright, but that's my weird glee over that situation. Closing in on two hours, and we're still going, because we got to talk about something here that, that's kind of big. I don't know how long this is going to take, but, well, you do. You can read the timestamps. So, over the week, Conor McGregor announced he had put his paperwork back in to be part of the USADA testing pool once again. I might have mentioned that briefly last week. We didn't have confirmation. He'd only said it. Well, we got confirmation during the week. A USADA press release said, we can confirm Conor McGregor has re-entered the testing pool. However, we cannot confirm whether or not the UFC will maintain the six-month testing period that he has to be there. Six months with two clean tests is the standard. Because January 1st, 2024, the UFC and USADA will no longer be working together. And... Okay. Do a little history here. These two, these two entities have been in business together for eight years. I'm going to get to the rest of you saw the statement uh, in a minute here. 
I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to quote. Eight years these two groups have been in business. I remember when the UFC signed USADA, I was positive on the move. And you know what? I have had to have my come-to-Jesus moments about this. I was wrong. I've said this before. I was wrong about that. Seeing how USADA operates, and moreover, seeing seeing the sporting world at large and coming more to grips with how things operate, I could not in good conscience support USADA's time with the UFC after a certain point. I knew too much, and I couldn't do it anymore. Plenty of other people, not actually, you know what? I can't say plenty. There were other people ahead of the curve on this one who said, I don't like this. I think chief among them would be Luke Thomas, currently of Morning Combat. At the time this deal was announced, I think he was still with um, MMA Fighting. He might have been... Was he still on the MMA beat at that point? I don't know. Whatever. I want to give him credit on this. He was ahead of the curve. So, yeah, this relationship is ending. It's been illuminating, personally, to, again, look at them, how they do business. I had to confront some of my stances on anti-doping. I had to to take a good, hard look at them. Not the easiest thing in the world to do, but I I had to, and had to come to some hard conclusions. Not easy to admit you're wrong, and I had to on this one. That said, USADA went on to say that part of what caused a lot of this friction was the UFC's handling of Conor McGregor and their intimations about him and the UFC's public stance about USADA. Let me play devil's advocate for just a minute here about USADA. If you are that organization, Conor McGregor has, for almost the entirety of 2023, been saying, I'm going to fight in December. Well, certainly after he signed the to do the Ultimate Fighter with Michael Chandler. That's the line. Going to fight in December. Or I think the original scheduling was like, eh, you know, maybe September, August, September. That'll be relatively close to when the series is done airing and we'll have the finale and then you know we can get a relatively close pay-per-view not immediately thereafter but relatively close and it just kind of kept being pointed out over and over and over again he's not in the pool he's not in the pool he's not in the pool so if you get into july and connor is still saying yeah the plan is for me to fight chandler in december or me to fight in december he occasionally would say chandler or somebody else or whatever if the most prominent figure in the sport, and Conor McGregor is still that, he is still the most popular figure, is saying, I'm going to fight in December in violation of these rules and guidelines. That's a problem. Now, it's easy for you and me to say Conor says umpteen gallons of crap on any given day. We disregard it. It's easy for us to disregard Conor McGregor. If you're a business entity, one who is staking a bit of their reputation on this, 
and the highest profile fighter under your purview is saying you don't matter, even if we even if there's a good chunk of the population that knows Connor's full of crap, you can't really take that lying down. This gets compounded by Dana White coming out and saying, Connor's fighting in December, I don't give, forgive my profanity here, I'm going to try and quote, I believe the quote was, I don't give a shit what USADA says, close quote. Dana's prone to, again, I don't like swearing on here, I've been trying to clean up my language in general. Dana's, it's also easy for us to say, Dana's a professional liar. But if you're USADA, and this is your client, which is kind of how that works, and the president of this organization you're theoretically working with to provide a service for is saying your service sucks and you don't matter, again, if you hang around the MMA bubble enough, you know Dana's full of crap. You know he lies. Constantly. You can't, if that guy came out and told me the sky was blue, I would need independent confirmation. I might have to go out and check right now just to make sure nothing had happened. That's his relationship with the truth and the fan base. At least those of us that pay attention. But if you're, if from a PR standpoint, if your biggest, again, your biggest client, the biggest face in UFC is not a fighter, it is still Dana White, is saying... We don't care about the service you provide or the rules we've agreed to. We're going to do what we want to do. Screw you. That's a problem. I'm not a fan of USADA. I am not taking their side in this as a general rule. I'm going to laugh at them in a minute. But let's take a minute here and acknowledge that this breakup got ugly in a hurry. It's one of the few times the UFC has had a bad business breakup. They don't have those very often. Occasionally, Dana will say something uncharitable, but you rarely get, like, the they went scorched earth here. I'll, I'll get to the UFC in a second. And you don't see that very often. I don't know who fired the first shot here. Publicly, I know it was the UFC with what Connor was saying and what Dana was saying. That's the first public shot. Stuff behind the scenes might have deteriorated before that, to get things to this point, but if you want the smoking gun, in this case, it's in the hands of the UFC and Conor McGregor. Whether you think shooting the USADA agreement in the head is a bad idea or a mercy killing, well, you might have guessed where I'm going to come down on that one. (laughs) So... You said it again. They said the situation became untenable. Okay. And again, do I understand some of their perspective on this? I actually do. I may not agree with USADA or their methods, but I can't pretend that this comes from nowhere from them. This is The UFC poked this. So the UFC, in response to this press release, held a press conference with Hunter Campbell and Jeff Nowitzki. Nowitzki. I have, my opinion of Jeff Davitsky is uh, pretty low. They came out and didn't get, did a press conference and said, so yeah, it, uh, they threw the uh, the guy in charge of USADA under the bus, said he was unhinged, 
things might have gotten heated. I don't know that he necessarily qualifies as unhinged. But I don't know the man, so maybe the recitation of events is accurate. Who knows? But they you know, called him unhinged, said USADA has been pure... Uh, they didn't say puritanical. Heavy-handed and invasive, and uh, all of us here are going, yeah, we knew this six years ago. I mean that. Two years into this agreement and this deal, it became very apparent what was going on and how badly and how bad this was. Six years. Now you're out here pretending that, no, no, you know, this became untenable. It became untenable when Nowitzki left and joined you guys. Dude, that guy is just Mark Ratner at this point. They're just replacing Ratner. You had one former, for those of you who don't know, Mark Ratner used to be on the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Once that helped get MMA legalized in the sport and then, like, retired and took a f- job with the UFC that he still has. There's replacing, because Mark Ratner, you know, he's an old guy. He's, I don't know how many more years he has on the earth, and I don't wish ill on him. But if you have a quota of guys who used to be on the outside of the UFC doing us a solid regulatory-wise or PR-wise and then getting a fat job with us, Nowitzki fills that role. So they came out and said, yeah, this got untenable. They were not effective. I don't, Nowitzki came out and said, you know, because they operate on the Olympic cycle, does USADA. So failures result in two-year and then four-year suspensions to throw off your eligibility for Olympic Games. I don't think, and he came out, I don't think that fits the professional model. It doesn't. We all knew this. Here you are anyway. That's been, that has been said for a long time. A long time. Uh, but anyway, so I don't know about that. And they've infringed on the rights of fighters. You don't care. Jeff Nowitzki, you are public and have talked about rooting through the trash of Barry Bonds, rooting through his garbage, trying to find evidence of his steroid use. I accept that you might have had a change of heart about this, but your position on the humanitarian side of this is null and void as far as I'm concerned as a general rule. Uh, anyway, again, they kind of threw USADA under the bus, and they announced a little bit about what will happen going forward. So they're now going to partner with DFSI, Drug Free Sport International. This is, I don't want to call them the gold standard, I will call them the common standard. This is the organization that does the drug testing for the NFL, the NBA, MLB, blah, 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 like all the major organizations. Kind of go through this. They didn't answer questions about what specifically... Here's the thing. The NFL's drug drug testing policy is, from a serious study standpoint, a joke. It's a joke! And I don't care. Nobody cares. Here's Here's what should happen in an ideal world. You have a third party testing group. Something like, again, DFSI for the sake of argument. Then, the stakeholders get together and say, here's our policy. All these guys are going to do is test. They're going to collect samples. They're going to test. The actual policy is determined by, in the case of any major organization, the players organization, so the un- whatever union the players belong to or their collective group, and management, the team owners. You might be able to... Ar- can you argue... Well, because team owners and then you have like the NFL 
They would have like the NFL ownership that might have a say in this. Then you would have the NFL organization. You might could argue for like the broadcast group as a stakeholder. Again, maybe. I'm not sure I would, but maybe. So in an ideal world, what we now are going to have is the fighters should have a collective, some kind of collective voice here. The UFC coming together and going, okay, here's what we need. Here's the substances that are not going to be, that are not going to be allowed out of competition. Here's the in-competition substances. Some of this will have to jive with state commission testing. Here's the testing schedule. Might include random testing. Might not. And here's the penalties. This is how the others do it. This is how every other sporting organization in the world does it. The NBA, the NFL, whatever. They all get together and they say, okay, here's the substances that you can't take. Here's the drug testing schedule, which may or may not include random testing. Here's the penalties. And once, this is like the great revelation of modern sport, everybody. If the athletes and management agree on something, the audience does not care. They don't care at all. You think, look at the NBA schedule. You think those people aren't on stuff? Look what their the physical demands on their bodies on a consistent basis. Look at Major League Baseball. Look at what the NFL players go through. Dude, when was the last time someone in hockey failed a drug test? You think those guys aren't on? Look at what they're doing to themselves. If the players and the management agree on conditions, standards, punishment, nobody else cares. The audience will go along. If you if you have a moral objection to it, you won't watch. The vast majority of the audience does not care. This is demonstrated over and over and over and over and over again. There was a brief period of moral panic in baseball about this. Partially facilitated by one of the most... Here's the other stakeholder. I mean this. The other stakeholder is the audience. If your drug testing is so comically bad that the fans start to notice and start to have a problem with it, that's the other stakeholder, and that, that's the market force. So baseball had to react to that, and then Congress got involved for who knows what reason. Dude, that period of time when you had, like, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds, and whatnot, that was one of the, some of the best times in baseball. And yeah, they were juiced to the gills. Who cares? The moral panic about that is just shocking to me. If you want to object to... And the bad science, oh, the bad science. EPO will give you, you know, get Jeff Nowitzki on the Joe Rogan experience spouting that disproved, debunked bull about EPO usage leading to strokes and brain hemorrhages. Ugh. Not true. Again, it's debunked. Too much EPO is not good for you. I'm not here to pretend otherwise. I'm saying it's not. it doesn't do what they claim it did. And you had Gordon Ryan joking out here, like, hey, why don't you just, you know, stop all drug testing 
and let the sport be great. People doing like, oh, you have so many fighters dropping dead in their 40s of heart attacks. Like all those pro wrestlers a while back. Guys, I hate to break this to you about all those pro wrestlers who died tragically young. And I don't, I don't mean that dismissively at all. Most of that was not just about steroids. I'm not saying the steroids helped. A lot of that was other medical conditions being exacerbated, and a lot of it was damage to, you know, heart, lungs, liver, whatnot, by other drug addictions and alcoholism, not just steroids to make themselves get bigger. Not just growth hormone. It was a lot of things. A lot of things. Was there a lot of steroid use in professional wrestling? Oh, yeah. But, dude, some of the most admitted biggest juicers in that game are still here. Or lived long, full lives. It's a lot more complicated than that. I don't think fighters are paid well enough to indulge in, like, the cocaine habits that a lot of high-paid professional wrestlers did during the 80s. Or other pills that they were on, or whatever. So, I'm... I'm just saying. Let's let's not have the moral panic. Get the fighter... If... Dude, even if you don't want to give fighters a collective bargaining in any other capacity, you really need it for your drug testing program. They need a voice here. USADA was foisted on them unilaterally, and then you wound up with stories about, you know, fighters being woken up at 3 in the morning. They did that to Volkanovski, like, before a fight. Uh, when he was cutting weight. Like, hey, 3 a.m., drug test. Like, piss off with that. Or, you know, having to watch Tim Kennedy shower. Because you, you you can't take some of those samples right after a gym session because there's a lot of chemicals that... There's a lot of bi- natural biochemistry that goes on when you work out. And you need that to settle. Otherwise, it can give you weird readings. Yeah, Tim Kennedy told that story. Like, I had a guy from USADA there. I said, I just got back from the gym. We're going to have to wait. I'm going to go shower. I said, well, fine. Then I have to watch you. Like, you have to shower after you after a gym session for health reasons. What keeps ringworm and staff from becoming a problem is clean, physical cleanliness. And fine, you get to watch Tim Kennedy shower because, oh, Lord forbid. To say nothing of some of the stupid parts of USADA's policy, they had a thing where, because they required your whereabouts at all times, right? Well... If you if you were not in compliance with their whereabouts when they with the whereabouts thing when they showed up for a random test they gave you three strikes before hitting you with a with a violation. You know how many people only ha- I think Yair Rodriguez was the only guy to fail that to to just straight up not be found for three different drug tests and then they you know suspended him. How many other people had two? I mean that. How many other people had two different times when they didn't fill out the whereabouts paperwork properly or whatnot and didn't get drug tested? Big ol' hole. 
USADA's legacy in this is one of abuse, bad science, and bad faith. Abuse, invasion of privacy, bad science, bad faith. Dude, John Jones took to Twitter on this one and said, I never cheated. Y'all admitted that. Take that no contest with Cormier off my record. You know what? John is right. They never proved that he was on what they said he was on. They never did. Every time John Jones had a run-in with USADA, he was exonerated. Every time. How conspiratorial you want to get about this, I'm not here to indulge certain conspiracy theories. I'm going to tell you the, again, I'm going to tell you the truth. Nothing they ever tried to hit John with stuck. We don't jokingly call him Teflon John for nothing. Nothing stuck. That should be changed. As a matter of as a matter of fairness and justice, that should be changed. USADA ruined careers on bad science. Y'all suspended Tom... You ruined Tom Lawler's MMA career, right? I mean that. You killed it. Dead. For the same thing that John Jones got nothing for, because when you looked at John closer, you went, oh, you know, weirdness. And we don't think this is th- this qualifies. You never said one word of apology, lifted a suspension, nothing to Tom Lawler. You made that poor man go into professional wrestling. He's actually pretty good at it. But that's what you did. You screwed over Josh Barnett. You screwed so many people you screwed over on bad science that you now publicly disavow. What a what a joke. What a joke. You know what? I I am not you know dude, I have to give Connor his props on this. If he was part if he was a main friction point that got us that got the UFC and the fighters in particular the fighters in particular out of this. That's more important than anything he did in the cage, and I mean that. I mean that. I I am super critical of Connor because he deserves it. Deserves your props here, man. If he helped get rid of USADA, I will I will give him his flowers on that count all day, every day. Full stop. Uh I think one of the last things about this that I want to mention is one of the other things that uh, the UFC cited is why they wanted to get out of this relationship. Um, they're trying to be more humani- like more humane and humanitarian in rehabilitation options for catastrophic injury. Look, man, Connor paid for very good treatment after his serious leg break. And that was down near the ankle, and I think they mentioned it. Like, they were worried about the him having the use of his ankle, not because of the bone break, but because of ligament damage. He got on a lot of stuff to make sure that his leg and his quality of life was not adversely impacted by that injury. And I don't fault him one iota for it. Getting on a bunch of gear to bulk up for a movie, that's just Hollywood. Everybody's on it. Every one of your action heroes with those shirtless scenes, they're cutting weight and they're on steroids. Hate to break it to you, but they are. 
So Connor getting on a bunch of crap for that. That's just industry standard. I don't like it, but it's industry standard. What are you going to do? I'm again, I'm not passing judgment on like, to the people who might have a moral panic about a bunch of actors on steroids. Like, so what? All the gym bros get mad about them cheating. Like, what are they cheating? They're not competing. There are no rules. Their contracts, lucrative ones, specify they must be in a certain physical condition on a certain date. Yeah, they use stuff for that. So would you. Every one of you puritanical... If, ever, if any one of you were presented with the contract that Chris Hemsworth was to look like Thor for any of those movies, you would do whatever it took. One of those guys from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he played, um, I think he played Mac, who was in sick shape for a giant chunk of that show, and then very fat for parts of it. Like, in ridiculous shape, and he said publicly, like, you know, when you get paid per episode, what I was paid per episode, that motivates you to make sure you're in compliance. You will be in shape for that if the money's right. Gym mode. So look, this is the other thing about the. Oh no, they're on steroids. That means they what? You don't get to stick a needle in you, inject chemicals, and then sit on the couch and eat potato chips and look like Chris Hemsworth or uh, Chris Pine or on his name or Henry Cavill. You work to look like that. And because of your time frame, you might work with assistance, with chemical assistance. I don't care. Neither should you, for the record, if you are out there and you do. So Connor went above and beyond. He went on rehabilitative protocols that USADA did not approve of. And apparently we're looking at the UFC's position now is, look, there's some of these therapies that we need to look at for rehabbing these injuries that are outside of what you saw to consider appropriate, and we're going to try them. We're going to look into experimenting with them. You know, what does growth hormone do to accelerate the healing process? Probably good stuff. I mean, uh, Edge, uh, the professional wrestler, got pressed on this in an interview. Like, have you ever taken steroids? And his response was, yeah, I broke my neck. Part of my protocol after surgery in the healing process and rehab process was some was a steroid regimen. It's not unreasonable. <laughs> Super helpful in point of fact. So, yeah. Um, oh, the last thing I have to laugh at the UFC about this. So they announced the guy who's going to be um, overseeing this is, um, I think it's George Pirro. Guy who used to work for the FBI and was like head of the task force that like had interrogated Saddam Hussein and helped track him down and Somebody was asked, like, okay, but what's the relationship here? Is there a potential conflict of interest? And Novitsky got on his high horse right away. This man has a law enforcement background. To even ask the question impugns his honor. Like, guys, he trains at American Top Team. That's a conflict of interest. You don't, you don't need to have adverse results to have a conflict of interest. Dude, one's got a big one. Like Matt Hume is one of their like executive VPs of something or other. And he has fighters in the organization. That's a conflict of interest. Doesn't mean his fighters are necessarily getting preferential treatment. It means the conflict exists. 
if this guy trains with a specific team, and he does, and he's going to be overseeing drug testing of some of his peers and friends, and you see the problem? Do you see the potential problem here? I'm not even saying that it would lead to anything. I'm saying there is a conflict here. It's a fair question to ask. UFC immediately doing the no, no, no. He, his moral character is above all possible reproach, you peasants. Get out of here with that crap. I don't know of any... I know of very few people who I do not know personally whose moral character I would consider above reproach. Anyone I know personally who meets that standard, you meet that standard because I know you. Anybody I look up on the internet or I listen to, and I listen to some people, I take opinions from different sources and whatnot. I Do I think their moral character is above reproach? Again, I can count on... It is barely double-digit. It is barely double-digit. The number of people whose moral character I would go to bat for in absence of having a personal relationship with them. It is very small. And that guy ain't on it. It's a fair question to ask, and that particular conflict of interest exists. Do with that information what you will. All right. We've been going for a while. Last bit of news. I will be quick with this, I promise, because, boy, we've been going at it. Big news week. Um, Israel Adesanya was on a podcast. I forget which one. Forgive me. I think they called it the Rock Podcast, not done by Dwayne Johnson. And he said he's going to take some time off. He said we're not going to see him fight for a while. Um, not surprising. Not surprising. And not even unwarranted. So, Adesanya has been the most active UFC champion since 2019. In that four years, he's had 11 title fights. He has reliably been active in, as a champion in the UFC, more so than anybody else. This man kept an insane schedule when he was fighting outside of the UFC. He fought... At one point, this is a crazy stat, he fought 35 times from August 30th in 2014 to October 21st in 2016. Several of those are tournaments, but still, that's a lot of fights. He's been incredibly busy for a long, long, long time. He says he's not going to retire because he doesn't want to go out on the fight with Sean Strickland. But you know what? That man wants to take some time off. He has more than earned it. More than earned it. Now, part of the other reason I brought up his schedule was a long time for Adesanya in the fight game may not be a long time by, let's say, more reasonable standards. I don't expect him to be out for three years like John Jones. He might take a year. You know, again, man, that guy's schedule, like almost like clockwork. The most reliable UFC champion to keep a schedule in the last, like, four years. Hats off to him, man. Do, do your thing, man. Shore up your game. 
take some time, wish him the best, look forward to his return when it happens eventually. All right. Um, that's all I got listed. Let me check Twitter because, you know, craziness. But we've been at this for almost two and a half hours, so I thank you for your patience. And let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right, nope, nothing new. So, plugs. Um, Monday, damn you Hollywood. Myself, Mark Radelich, Dorian Price, we will be reviewing The Exorcist Believer. I believe it's going to suck. Pretty sure. But we'll have a good time reviewing it, so tune in for that. Um, double check that's Monday. Yeah, yeah. I gotta go see that tomorrow. Technically today as I'm recording this early. Technically, eh, it is technically Monday at this point, so, you know. I'm doing it late. What do you want it for me? I have a life. I have things to do. Shut up. <laughs> Sometimes I get to it later in the day. Don't know what you want from me. Uh, anyway, we will be reviewing The Exorcist, then... That's next week. Oh, jeez. Next week's a big one. We're going to have Killers of the Flower Moon, which will take forever. Then that Thursday, I have the TV party for the Fall of the House of Usher. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, if you have... Eh, I don't want to give that away. Nope, not giving that one away. Sorry. Maybe later. Maybe later. All right. Uh, my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. There was no MLW this week. They didn't send out a screener. Assume there was nothing that aired. Um, or my editor forgot to give it to me, in which case, yeah, I'll blame him. But my hunch is that was something just didn't come out. They might have taken a week off. It happens. Or they're ready to move back from uh, Fusion to Underground, which airs on, I think, Reels. Might be that time of year again. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, if they send something out, I will review it. That'll be Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. They are building towards Crown Jewel over there. And then UFC 294 early Saturday morning here for me. That's it. Thank you very, very much. Been a bit of a long one, folks. But look, man, I got to watch Killers of the Flower Moon next week. I'm pretty sure there's a time dilation effect with that movie. So I appreciate your time and patience. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay safe out there. Hope to see you next week when we review UFC 294 and we talk about nothing. We will have a week off the 28th. You know what I might do? Okay. So, 28th. Spoiler for next week. There's no UFC event. Mark Radulich and I will be covering Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou's boxing affair. So, I might talk a little bit about that as far as a preview goes next week, just to fill some time, depending on how much stuff we have coming out of 294. That's a little bit iffy, and we'll see how that plays out. But So next week, bare minimum, review of UFC 294. Should be a good one. All right, thank you very, very much. Stay safe out there, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>